So fun. Good morning, everyone. Say hi to someone you're seated next. Say what's up. Good to see you. Happy Daylight Savings Day. No reason to be grouchy this morning, right? No grouchiness today. Everyone got to sleep in. I bet there's a few that didn't. Sorry. This morning, if you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure, and today's going to be an unusual morning. We've never done this before. We're not going to have a traditional uh, Sunday sermon. Today is going to be a conversation. Uh, We've been in a series called Future Family, and I told you several weeks ago that there would be a Sunday where uh, the Matthew shared with you uh, a way. Our way, not the way, uh, but our way, the way we raised our kids, hoping that maybe you'll glean something from Melissa uh, this morning. And so she's uh, joined me, and we're going to tell you our story. It started off, we're both Southerners. Uh, Melissa's from the South, the the Mid-South. I'm from Southern California. And so our, our immediate cultural background just like clashed. I mean, it was like, whoa, two totally different people. And uh, 28 years later, I've completely changed and everything's fine now. But we had, we were, we went to college together. We met at age 19. I didn't, I'd never met a Southern woman. And when I met her, I was like, wow, this gal is totally uninterested in me. And that was my hook. And uh, so a year or two later, she started to pay a little attention, and here we are, 28 years later. Melissa? So I want to give a little child history. So we got married when we were 20, and back in the day, as my students say, uh, that no one looked at me funny or said, wow, you're young. Uh, And some of that I'm sure had to do with the fact that I was from the South. But we got married at 20, and then we finished college together. We were in college like four years together. We uh, had our first child, Max, uh, who is here, uh, when we were 25. 18 months later, we had Mark, who was in first service. Uh, 20 months later, we had Jackson. And 14 months later, we had Grant. And so we weren't, um, the, yep. last, the last little gap we weren't planning, but the other gaps we were planning. Total plan. Because Just we plan. wanted, or sort of planning, I mean, because we wanted our kids all to be in the same life stage together. We wanted them to uh, be friends. I didn't want to have to play with them. So that's what you do is you have a playmate so you're not the one playing with them. In fact, when the boys were super little and I had the double stroller still and two in the stroller and two walking along beside, I got the same questions all the time. Are those all yours? All boys, any twins? Are those all yours? All boys, any twins? And if I hadn't been so tired, I would have had a T-shirt made that said, all mine, all boys, no twins. But I didn't. But uh, we sort of thought, you know, you're already exhausted with one. Just get the exhausted over with. Why drag it out? Why get rested and then start over again being exhausted? So that was kind of my personality was just to get them all done. And so we also thought today that we would, lest this come off like the Facebook We're Perfect post, and life is always good, we would start by telling you what we did not do well. And the list is long, so 
It's, it's a good 15, solid 15. Okay, so, so. We failed at teaching our kids to put their dirty dishes in the dishwasher. Oh. Still doesn't happen. Yes. I don't, in fact, one of my sons bragged last spring. He said, I don't want to throw him under the bus, Grant. He said, <laughs> he goes, Dad, I don't think I've ever done dishes. I'm like, wow. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> or we might correct it. Uh, so we did not teach them to make their beds every day. To keep their rooms clean, to put their towels back on the rack. No, didn't teach them to lift the toilet seat, put the toilet seat down, or clean it. Never happened. Come on over. Uh, We'd love to have you. uh, We did not teach them to eat healthy. Uh, We hardly ever limited screen time. It was one of those things we kind of played around with sometimes, but uh, we didn't ever do that. We didn't teach them to put one toy away before they got another toy out. Uh, We didn't teach them to put their shoes in the closet. We didn't teach them to have a neat haircut and always look sharp. We didn't teach them to do all their homework or make straight A's, which for me was very painful because I was a straight A student and I teach, right? And so there were four years where the boys were more than four, seven years, but the boys went to the same high school that I taught at. And so, you know, here they come home with a bad grade, and I'm like, boys, boys, these are my friends. Can you do your homework for my friends, please? So that was kind of a painful thing, but we did not make them get straight A's. This, I don't, it almost hurts me to say, I did read to my children at night. I did not read to my children every night, because who can stay awake through a whole book? Yeah. I mean, I was the one sleeping before. I can tell you before. personally, I don't think I ever read to my sons once in there. Well, you didn't have to tell. That was okay. too much information. I don't think it ever happened. Uh, we did not have devotions. We didn't teach them to have devotions every morning. We had a couple chore charts like here and there that lasted, I don't know. Thursday, usually? 24 hours. I was thinking Monday, but <laughs> they didn't last long. Yeah. So um, once we had this. So are you thinking now? Why am I Why here? are you sharing then today? What did you do? What did we do? Uh, it's, it's a legitimate well, question. Well, we decided we had to prioritize because I wasn't naturally a structured person on my own. I wasn't at all because my home was, there were four of us super young. My mother came home. She went to the hospital with two babies. Uh, you know, she had two children and she came home not knowing she was having twins and had four overnight. So our house wasn't that structured. So I wasn't raising that. I just couldn't do it. But you have these images in your head that our life, my kids, you know, we're going to do all these things that we didn't teach them to do. And I soon recognized that I couldn't live with that, um, that burden hanging over me for all those years. I couldn't live in failure that I can't do these with my kids. So we had to decide um, what are we going to do? I can't just talk about all the things, t- dwell in what's not happening, that my kids aren't learning to be neat. Instead, we had to decide what are we going to work on and just go with it and just, you know, leave the rest behind that we couldn't do. And I did get to stay home with the boys when they were little. So, you know, the days are long and And so we just decided here were the things that we had to work on. Because even when you're bringing kids into the world, I remember thinking this kind of overwhelming thought that you couldn't think too long is that whenever you have a child, 
you are letting, God is allowing you to participate in the act of a soul being created, a soul that would live forever, that you were responsible for the, as Ted Tripp would say, we had the virgin soil all to ourselves. that we wanted to have children whose eternal being would stand before God and be able to say, he would be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we recognize that was a huge burden. So, but a, a, a divine burden that we were happy to have. But, um, so we had to prioritize. And here were our priorities. Um, the first priority that was sure to get swift and painful punishment was if you ever lied to us. It didn't matter if the lie was tiny. Uh, did you, are you the one that broke that? Whatever the lie was, if they lied to us, they could be sure they were going to be in trouble immediately. I was, I did manage to be consistent on that. We did. Um, we also, our second priority was that they were submissive to authority. Um, even at the youngest age, because we didn't see how you could transition, you could raise a child that you did not make them be submissive to authority, yet you expected them to transition into understanding and fearing God. Because scripture clearly teaches that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And if we wanted our children to be successful, the first thing they had to learn is to, to fear us. I mean, to I'm not saying we were like, ah, but, you know, we, we were the, the boss, and we did expect them to be submissive to us whenever we ask of it. And we also didn't, with that, I completely recognized that I had to be careful of what I was asking for obedience in. That's why the whole room clean, all that stuff, I wasn't going to say, if you don't have your room clean by 4 o'clock, because I'm like, yeah, whatever, Melissa. <laughs> like, you cannot enforce that. So I was... Because they might come into our bedroom and say, what's what? happening here? So, but we were just very careful to only require obedience with things that really mattered and not just spread it out and, and require obedience when we were not able to follow through and discipline them, correct them if they weren't obedient, submissive to authority. So not only did we want to see them be respectful of authority because God's the ultimate org chart uh, of authority, but we wanted them to be respectful of others. And so when they were two, three, four, and five, we were teaching them, hey, when you meet someone, when you interact with an adult, you shake their hand, you give them eye contact, and we would watch to see that they do that because we felt like that's one way you convey respect. Anytime you meet someone that's a great first impression, your eye contact, do you engage in a hello, do you introduce yourself? Being uh, Raising our kids initially in the Midwest, we taught them, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, please and thank you. And we were encouraged by one of our board members at the church I first served in Missouri before I came to Adventure Roseville that if they learn to show respect like that, they would never be in want for jobs. And so they aren't in want for jobs. It's just been a great tool for them uh, to continue to show respect to authority and to take ownership. In fact, just Halloween, uh, last week or so, uh, one of our neighbors came up to us and said, you know what, I got to tell you, one of your sons came to me personally and uh, apologized to me for cutting me off in our neighborhood. And he had told me that he had cut somebody off. He didn't even see him. And uh, I said, well, go, go apologize if you think you really cut him off. This neighbor said, wow, I couldn't believe that your son came to my house, knocked on my door and said, hey, I cut you off the other day. I'm just sorry about it. Apologize for that. 
And I was like, yeah, that's what I want, respect uh, for others. And uh, we, also, um, we, also in, we also taught them respect for our marriage. And what that meant was that we believed that the Bible teaches we were a family before we had kids. And so the first relationship, the most important one that we maintain is not only our vertical relationship with God, but this relationship. And we know as couples, if you're married, how busy and how important it is that we continue to prioritize each other. And so when they were young, we made it very clear that they were part of our family, but they weren't all our family. Uh, We were family before we had kids. And that's been an ongoing component of our family life. It is to this day. Just the other day, it was a Friday night. I wanted to have a little time with Mrs. Matthews. I was in the family room. My son started to come into the family room. And I was like, I'm not leaving the family room. I'm going to have them leave the family room. So I just said, hey, guys, good to have you. Would you mind leaving? And we had, then I got some time with the first person in our family. And I will have to give Scott most of the credit for making that happen throughout our marriage because several of the parenting books we read and we totally agreed with said a lot of times if, a, if children are acting out or even having trouble sleeping, it's because they're not sure their world is secure. And this is a kid's world. And so... One of the remedies, which we had to use on several occasions, was to make sure when our kids were doing poorly, misbehaving maybe more than normal, was to be intentional about spending time together as a couple in front of them. Not after they go to bed, because they don't see after they go to bed. They're not seeing that mom and dad love each other. They need to see you together love each other, because that gives them Comfort and security. And so also, not only in Melissa's presence, but often in her absence, I will talk to my sons about, hey, you guys don't know how good I have it. I mean, I married someone that's super smart, a very hard worker, and you just need to know that that this doesn't just happen. The Bible teaches that houses and land are a gift that we inherit from parents, but an excellent wife or spouse is a gift from God. And so don't take this for granted. Uh, this is what you're experiencing in our home is a gift, and I'm intentional. I'll be affectionate with Melissa appropriately in front of them. When, I'm, when I see her off uh, walking to go to school, I'll honk, letting everyone know I'm checking her out. I try to let, I want my sons to know that, I, that the woman I stare at is Melissa Matthews, and I'm intentional about that because I want to protect them from staring at things they shouldn't. And another benefit of that for the child is when you have a home that's not child-centered, is that you're setting that child up to do better in the world because the world is not, the world doesn't focus around your child. But if you raise them in a child-centered home where you're always trying to meet every need and you don't want them to have to wait and all, all that stuff, that you're setting them up for life to be more difficult because the real world doesn't put them first. And if you're always putting them first and if you're always, you know, letting them pick out what they eat and making life as easy as possible, that's one of the arguments Scott and I have sometimes had, um, is that you're setting them up to, for life to kind of slap them in the face because no one is going to pay attention to them when they walk in the door at work and say, oh, how can we make oh, you happy? Wow. What do you need? Oh, so we just tried to put our relationship. Oh, 
like, whatever, get to work. Uh, we tried, and Scott more than I did, to put our relationship first. And then, look, now we're officially sort of empty nesters, and we still love each other. We still have a good yep. time. Yep. It's awesome. awesome. Um, when the boys were little, we also had a Matthew's Creed that we kind of added to as issues this arose. This is totally, this is a way. We developed our own little manifesto for our family. And the kids can, I think they haven't memorized most of it, but here it is. And it started at age two with our oldest, who's in the front row here. It's Matthew's Don't Whine. And uh, then we went to Matthew's Obey, Matthew's Let Others Go First, Matthew's Don't Quit. That was huge for me. And there were times when quitting was a challenge, Melissa will tell you about. Matthew, say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, please, and thank you. Matthew's uh, Leave No One Behind. Uh, and that's something we practice. It's kind of cool, especially uh, it, it, in their late teens. It's been fun to do. Um, sometimes we'll have a one a car will fail and it'll be stuck downtown or something. And you know, we we get one of the boys texts us, "Hey, I'm stuck downtown. You can come get me." And we're like, "Yeah, Matthew's leaving no one behind. You're right. Even though it's two in the morning, we'll go down and get you." Uh, but we leave no one behind. And then this last one that I like is Matthew's love one another and. I, maybe other homes experience this. It is surreal in our home. I'm not kidding. To hear our sons every day tell one another on the phone, in the house, that they love each other. It's crazy. We hear that in our homes all the time. I love you, love you, love you, love you, all the time. And uh, I'm not sure how that one happened, but it is. Matthews are gentlemen on the golf course, at church, and at the dinner table. We're terrible at golf, so we probably fail in that area. Matthews are good stewards, so we teach the boys about being good stewards of property. Maintaining your car, keeping it clean, uh, maintain, realizing your, what the money you have isn't yours, it's God's. We encourage our kids to tithe. I don't check on them to see if they do, because it's a church policy. We don't do that, but I encourage them to do it. And uh, Matthews go to college, finally, which has been tougher than than I thought. So uh, back to Matthews don't whine. That was our first rule, and we even had a little wooden plaque that sat on the mantle that said, uh, don't whine or do not whine or something like that. Um, And I remember one day distinctly one of the boys walking up to me in the kitchen with their hands up with that, and I was just like, "Uh, I can't this. So we started saying, I can't hear you when you talk like that. I can't hear you when you talk like that. And there were other things behind whining. Sometimes uh, kids whine um, because they're just not happy. They don't want to do what you're asking them to do. So I would use the verse, do everything without complaining or arguing. Matthews don't whine. Um, Sometimes it's because they're ungrateful. There's something they want that they're not getting, so they're whining about it. And we would might say, uh, give every give thanks in everything. You're not getting what you want, but you still need to give thanks instead of whine about it. Um, We also tried to teach them in response to whining, to take every thought captive. That was one of my favorite verses. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And sometimes whining is the result of processing a negative thought. You want to quit. You hate this. And we would say, you know, don't do that. You're just, you're doing it. We don't quit. We didn't allow them to quit anything that they started. In fact, one season of football was especially difficult for one of our boys who was having to be the center um, of the freshman football team when he was only like 100 pounds, 105 pounds. He was just getting tossed around um, like a rag doll. Seriously. It was they crazy. Hit him. He would, I mean, he did his job well, but he just paid he for it. He snapped the ball. It's just that they snapped him and after he snapped the ball. And then they plowed him. 
just over and over again. And I remember one day in particular, he was so upset. And there was a part of me that was like thinking, okay, maybe we can let him quit. But we just always recognize that difficulty is a chance for the character of Christ to be formed in you if you will just take it full on and go through it and be processing how you can become more like the image of Christ even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So we have always tried to teach our boys not to whine no matter what they were whining about and why they were whining. But uh, not to whine and don't quit either. Don't quit. Angela Duckworth's book, we think it was out this summer, called Grit. She argues that uh, the most formative um, practices in high school students where they really learn a work ethic is in their ability to uh, stay and finish. It's not just school. It's extracurricular activities. Not quitting those is what forms in them this grit, this endurance, this perseverance, this character. It's formed very early. Um, and she, she does a Harvard and also a Microsoft study to show that that's what employers are looking for. They're, they want to know, did you finish when you were young? Did you, did you did, or did you quit? We didn't shelter our kids. We had a dream initially of living in a beautiful community um, in the foothills. And we sensed God's spirit leading us here to Natomas. And so we decided, rather than try to really protect our kids from a public education that might not teach them what we would ideally want in a science class or um or in 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 just language being around language we wouldn't want them to be around we decided hey we're going to practice living a christ-centered home and we're going to let our kids just just be immersed into this uh school district and we don't have any regrets for that we think that for that was our way that it helped inoculate them from a lot of the um, the junk because they saw it all. Uh, they played sports all the way through. They were involved in leadership. And we think that by practicing godliness and self-control in our own home, they got to see, you know, genuine parents growing in Christ. Uh, we didn't swear in the home. We didn't do things we shouldn't in the home. So they got to see an example, I think, that helped protect them. Um, the one thing I did shelter that I was passionate about is sheltering their eyes. And with boys, it's incredibly important, especially with smartphone access to inappropriateness online. I was passionate about that. And so I would always zip through anything that I thought was inappropriate, didn't, didn't make a place for that. I wanted my son's hearts to be pure. My vision for my sons comes from uh, the scriptures, which is uh, descript- describe the heart of David. King David, the second king of Israel, is described like no other person in the Bible, except maybe Caleb and Joshua. And what Paul says about David is that he would do whatever the Lord asked of him. He had a heart after God. And so my hope has been that my sons will have a heart after God. Whatever career they're in, I don't care, because they'll do well if they've got a heart after God. They'll excel. Yeah, and we did talk openly about the sexual purity piece all the time, way more than they wanted to talk about it. They're just like, oh, please, not We still again. talk about it. Because we just recognize that the success of their future family and honoring the wife that they didn't have yet all happened even before they ever met that person. So we talked about that all the time. Uh, we ate dinner together almost every night at the table, and... That was the time for us to kind of debrief and talk about 
uh, things that they'd heard and and people who were having issues, and we got to say, okay, so are they're not following the Lord? Does that look like something pleasant to you? That what they're experiencing because of sin or uh, bad choices is that something you want? And every night we didn't talk about the Bible, but it was a time for us to really debrief and share our faith. We tried to live transparently in our own faith and in our own faults with our boys because you've heard this, but it's so true. Kids don't do what you say. They are doing what you do. They are doing what you do. So you can tell them all day long to tell the truth, but if on the phone you're not telling the truth, they do what you do. So we really tried to be transparent about things. We were having a hard time and how we were wanting God to help us with whatever in our relationship. If we were struggling or stressed out or not getting along, we would talk about that openly um, because we wanted them to uh, see a, fa- a genuine faith in action. That's what we wanted to do. And as far as them being preacher's kids, um, I was raised in a pastor's home, and I really never felt any pressure because, in my opinion, you did what you did because you were a Christian. It was irrelevant uh, to whether my dad was a pastor. If I was a believer, there was a certain expected lifestyle. And so we tried to teach our boys that same thing, that we want you to do this or not do that, not because you're the pastor's kid, but because you're a believer in Christ, that you're, our expectations are based on the fact that you're a believer in Christ. So that was another thing that we talked about often at the dinner table. Uh, we emphasized, so we had four boys, and I homeschooled for just a couple years because, and I was not good at it, uh, because Scott worked on Saturday and Sunday, and I didn't want the two days that he was, uh, they were home to him be gone. So we, especially when they were little, so we homeschooled a little bit, and then I figured out, not having it, not good at it. Um, but, but we saw the four boys together all day long cannot always be healthy for boys because then they're all letting Max be the leader and they're not the leader. And, and, we, and the co- competition that sometimes happens, we didn't want to have unhealthy competition with our boys. So we always constantly were repeating how each of them were gifted differently. God has not made you all the same. These are your gifts These are your gifts. These are your gifts. These are your gifts because we wanted them to all cheer for each other and not feel like if we're cheering for him, then he's going to beat me out because then he'll be better than me. God had made them all differently. So we talked about that a lot. Hey, would you explain this? I think sure. Job uh, we also talked about, we tried, because it, life can, when you have four kids and you're trying to correct their behavior all the time, it's so easy to go down the whole negative. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't, don't. I mean, that could be all you're saying. So we really tried to reverse that, and we had the language to go on it later in a class we did just a couple years ago. Uh, but trying to live by emphasizing the virtue not emphasizing the death or the sin. So instead of saying, don't be mean, we would say, be more kind. Instead of saying, don't jump on the couch, we'd say, have more self-control. So we tried to 
speak in the positive, in the blessing, in the uh, virtue, instead of speaking in the negative. And it did really help because you're trying to, instead of talking about the not, 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 you're really holding up the banner. This is what we want you to be. So let's move towards that. And obviously, if you're moving towards the good, you're leaving the bad behind. So that was something that really uh, made our home more positive. Although we got busy with sports, we loved Loved sports. That was uh, kind of an extended family of ours. We're still involved in sports a little bit. Uh, I did the uh, concession stand at the Intercom Rio Linda night football game Friday night. It's fun to be with those uh, families and uh, coaches uh, for a little bit. But And we were probably a little idolatrous when it came to football. I mean, it just was such a ride. Uh, but we didn't want to do every sport, especially when they're in high school, that might take us away from some good family time. And so we tried to protect that. Yeah, we tried to protect our family time. We actually didn't even do organized sports until Max was eight because I just knew once you start that ball rolling, it just gets faster and faster. And I really wanted to preserve those unrushed years of having our kids at home. So we didn't do sports until Max was eight. And then we tried to just do like one sport. We just kind of made it an unspoken rule that we weren't going to do every season a sport for every season because we knew the years with your kids are so short and we didn't want to give them all up to a bunch of different activities. And we didn't share our kids that much with other people, actually. It only happened a couple times, but uh, um, Max especially, I remember, had a friend that he was an uh, the only child in his family. So Max kept getting invited all the time to be with this other family. So we ended up being a couple days a week, two or three days a week, Max would be with this other person. And I'm like, you know, they should have thought of that when they just had one kid. Yeah. Okay. I had four kids because I want four kids at home at night. And so we, the boys got to be with friends some, but we did not um, spend lots of time with other people because we didn't really need to. We had our own little play group at home. And because we also recognized that once they left home, then they would be with all these other people a lot, and we would have missed out on time with them. So we were kind of stingy. When we time. first moved out to Northern California to join the staff at Adventure of Roseville, I reached back to one of my friends, a board member at uh, Fairview Christian Church in Carthage, and I just asked him, hey, I got a question for you. Do you have any advice for me as I move on to this new job? Just something you'd tell me maybe that I don't know about, you know, the perception of my family that might help me. And uh, he, he's a straight shooter, and I, I said, shoot straight with me. He said, you know, Scott, you've got great kids. You've got cute kids. Uh, they're baby contest winner kids. He said, They but were for real. They were for real. But he said, you've got to remember your kids are not as cute to others as they are to you. And I was like, pray tell. He said, well, sometimes after church, your kids would come up and voluntarily play on the keyboard that wasn't theirs. Or sometimes they'd jump back on the drum set and start banging away, or they'd run up and down the halls. And he said, you just got to realize that other adults don't value that as much as maybe you do. And I was like, oh, I needed to hear that. Thank you so much. And really what that is, is learning to, to try to teach as a parent learning to have some self-awareness about how your kids, what they do impacts others. It's, it's EQ. It's relational intelligence. Learning to 
start to teach them how what they do impacts others, that even though they're having fun. Yeah, to teach them to look at their actions in consideration of other people, to put other people first, no matter what they were doing. Like the running and being all crazy. Well, how do the people around you, how will they view that? Are you making them all nervous because they're afraid you're going to knock over somebody with a cane? Or we just tried to teach them to view their own actions through the eyes of other people. And one uh, little rule that I kind of always had, even when the boys were pretty little, is to kind of say, uh, view them as a 17-year-old. You might say, what in the world do you mean? But if, if whatever they're doing, say they made a comment to me, um, is that a comment I would want from a 17-year-old? You know, because sometimes we can do that. They say something that's kind of smart aleck, and when they're young, you're like, ah, oh, so cute. I'm like, what? Because if whatever the comment is, if it's not cute when they're 17, it's not cute when they're two either. Because there are lots of times I think parents sort of, and this was something I was so afraid was going to happen in our home, that I was extra conscious of it all the time, is the idea that you had a rebellious teenager. But, but I would always think to myself, but maybe it's because they were never obedient to start with. But now those things that you viewed as okay when they were little, now they're old, you want it to stop. And just the, the sooner you stop anything that you don't want a 17-year-old to do, the easier it is to stop and the less likely they are to remember it. If it's a painful thing that you're something like, let's say, super shy, it's way easier to get over it when you're too little to remember how painful it was to get over it than to wait until you're old. Lots of things, but that was kind of always my rule. And obviously, it's a training process. You don't you know, magically, that was a, a news to me, is that when you ask them to do something once, they weren't magically good at it all of a sudden. You had to keep on and keep on. But I try to look at my kids as little mini 17-year-olds and judge their behavior or whatever they were doing by that um, measure. Tell them what gave us the most conflict. <laughs> this did give us the most conflict. Now, Scott was raised in a home that was much less strict than my home was because I was raised in a small town where your reputation was everything, and once it was over, it was over. In fact, I went to my 30th class reunion, and still people, you see them, and you're like, yeah, we know what you're like. And you're like, what? That was 35 years ago. I'm sure they're not that way anymore. But my home was very strict, and Scott's home was not, but in parenting, we kind of flip-flopped because I had seen that the overbearing nature or the lack of grace in my home had kind of pushed especially my older brother away. And he did come back, and now he and my dad are on staff at the same church, which is super cool. But there was some tension that I, that I always... Of course, I didn't think that at the time because I was just a kid. But looking back, I, I thought maybe could have been avoided without the overbearing, uh, what's the word I can't think Exasperating. Of? Exasperating. So we tried to not exasperate our children. That's one of the reasons all those things we didn't do. Because Scott would have been way harder on their grades. Scott, there are a lot of things oh. he wanted to be more difficult on. And I'm like... Oh, yes. but is it really worth the potential break in relationship? Yeah. Is See, it I, really I, I'm worth? Up, uh, until she says, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it relationship. Yeah. Now. And so we really tried. One of our major goals was to have a relationship with our kids that they enjoyed us. Not that we were their friends because we were not their friends. 
But there was still no need to be overly burdensome and overly exasperating. So we just tried to always keep a close relationship. And that was a point of disagreement a lot because he would want to be super hard and I would be like, but, you know... He's like, Ugh. but, uh, but yeah, in the she'd end, she'd wake we him are... up in the morning. She'd wake him up in the morning. Time to wake up. Hello. I'm like, get out of bed. Let's move. And we had to chill me out. And it took just about 10 years, but I'm better now. Yeah. I think. And that, especially, you no, know, there was uh, with each of them, and we never could quite put our finger on it. I don't get that soft, you know, honey, time to get up. No, it's not. But... So, um, the the ninth grade year was always like the most stressful, um, and we never could quite pinpoint what it was, but there was something about that ninth grade year for all of them. You're like, Lord, please help us get through this. And we did. We got through it. Melissa, the last thing I just want to share, and we'll close with this, and that's, I think the most important thing we're doing now is praying. Uh, we try to pray together on Saturdays together, have a have just a few minutes, uh, 10 minutes or so, where we pray together. We try to pray together every morning, just a little, a little hand-holding. Sometimes I'll walk her out to the car. Uh, sometimes we'll occasionally not be, you know, really clicking in the morning, getting along, uh, and we'll still try to pray together. You know, it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> Make it quick. <laughs> yeah. Quit touching me. <laughs> we, yeah. So, but we try to have that connection daily, I've also asked all my sons and my daughter-in-law, hey, what's the one hope you have in 2016 I can pray for? Uh, I got that out of one of our men's growth groups. Just something I can pray for for them. And I think that's really helped us uh, stay close. And being now empty nesters, it's a different relationship. It's, uh, it's we fun. That we are enjoying it because we're... Go ahead. Uh, but we are enjoying because we think our kids like to be with us. Where are they? We think they do. Yes? No? Maybe so? Um, so, uh, so we really enjoy being together, and sometimes that is how we'll end a night together. More often than not, if we've had a dinner together and we're all hanging out on the couch, we will kind of go around the room and we'll pray, and it's nothing fancy, but we all kind of take turns, and it's just a special time um, because most of all, our goal is for our children to have hearts after God. That's, you know, we, of course, there are things you'd like for them to be. Um, if all of our boys were in ministry, that'd be super exciting. But we really want them to use their gifts that God has given them in a way that brings God glory. Period. So whatever that looks like, we don't care. We're just trusting that God is um, helping them make a decision. So you've heard this is a way. Uh, hopefully something you've heard is like, yeah, you know what, that. That would be worth practicing or sharing with my grandkids or kids someday. Uh, we just want to see you experience uh, the kind of ideal family, um, pieces of the ideal family that Jesus intended. We shared it a few weeks ago. G- what Jesus instructed Christian families to look like was revolutionary in the first century, that a husband would passionately fight for the heart of his wife, that a wife would submit and respect her husband, that children would obey their parents, that a wife would treat his, a husband would treat his wife as a co-heir uh, in the grace of life. That's a, that was totally contrary to first century Greco-Roman household management. And uh, we think we can enjoy a piece of that in this fast-paced culture we live in. 
we're all so lucky to enjoy the families we have. Um, sometimes families experience tragedy. We've had it in our own congregation. And so every season we have together is so important. In a few minutes, you're going to hear from our uh, volunteers in missions. You're going to hear about a family that went through a really tough season. Um, and before we get there, I want to just pause and pray for your families. Can I do that? Would you uh, bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, your word tells us that you have designated where we live. You've designated um, where we go about. Uh, you, have, uh, you are the one that builds our families. You've said that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the house, the watchmen watch in vain. Our homes, our families, they're a gift from you. And I just ask that your spirit would help us treasure this, uh, this, this very brief dash of life we have with our kids uh, so that our kids will have hearts wholly devoted to you, not by our own works, but by your grace and generosity. Because, Lord, we fall short. We don't ask this because of our own righteousness at all. We ask because of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 